You're listening to School Crack, Ireland's first and foremost Magic the Gathering podcast. I'm your host, David Wolf, and I'm joined here by... Kieran and Alan. Hey, lads. Welcome back, Kieran. Thanks. Yeah, I was, uh, I was, I was missing there for a week. AWOL. And how was LA? LA wall. Okay. LA wall, indeed. Good. Didn't get to play any magic over there. I looked it up. I was like, oh, I'm in LA. That's that can't be far from uh, the Channel Fireball store because that's in California. I looked it up. It's like a six hour drive or something like that. California is so huge. <laughs> but uh, no, it was a fun week. I was just out there for work. Didn't get to do all that much sightseeing or anything like that. Uh, it was, it was, it's a weird place. I don't know. It was kind of grand to visit, but uh, definitely wouldn't want to live there. It's very weird. Oh, yeah. Got to drive in a Tesla, though. That was cool. Ooh. Ooh. Class. Yeah, we were on the freeway, and uh, your man, whose car it was, put it in, like, uh, autopilot. So it was just driving on the freeway by itself, like, changing lanes and indicating and stuff like that. Uh, oh, my God. Yeah, it, was, it, was, it was really cool. That yeah. is mental. Yeah, to be honest, I felt safer with that happening than uh, with, like, certain other people actually driving the cars. People aren't very good drivers over there. Mm. Like, so I think the self-driving stuff is definitely the way to go oh yeah all right well that's uh we have that to look forward to in the future oh yeah play magic while driving to work oh my oh, baby God, be unbelievable will magic online be dead by then no uh well <laughs> yeah probably <laughs> let's be realistic here no it'll be fine you'll still be able to do uh mcqs every month oh yes it'll just be vintage Oh yeah, true. Yeah, I don't know how long they're going to stick around that stuff, that format points and all that. I, like, I get the feeling it's not going to be around for too long. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, so- Magic Online must have seen a massive drop in revenue after Arena came out. Yeah, apparently the queues yeah, take forever now. If you're if you're trying to play Standard or Draft even, uh, I think someone was saying it on one of the podcasts coming up to this uh, Mythic Championship that, they, you know, it's... It's like the quality of play has dropped a lot and it takes forever to get games. So it's like it's not even very useful as a testing tool anymore, even for the, the really serious players. Oh, wow. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. Oh, uh, well, <laughs> mighty is a bit of a strong word. I guess, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was okay. It was okay. I mean, it, 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 uh, even though I'm, I'm actually at the I, I did. I probably have played hundreds and hundreds of hours on it, so I can't really uh, complain too much. But uh, no, now, now it's all about Arena. Once once we get, uh, once we get you know, human, human drafts and... Uh, Modern Legacy Vintage, going to be fine. Oh man, playing some Vintage on Arena would be so good. <laughs> that would, that would. I think there would be far too much nonsense for them to ever bother putting those cards in. Yeah, they should put anti-cards in, and you can steal cards from the opponent's <laughs> Arena collection. Yeah, just anti-cards anti in, and then just immediately ban them. <laughs> yeah, exactly, to get that realistic yeah. experience. I wonder what the animation on the Shaharazad looks like. You'd need a second monitor, or it wouldn't work. <laughs> Lovely. All right. So this week we have plenty to be talking about, so we better get moving. Um, so we're going to be talking about methods to qualify for the upcoming Mythic Championships and the whole kind of system that's been announced and revealed in regards to that. We're going to talk about a little bit about uh, War of the Spark pre-release and some of the changes that have been made to the decisions there. So we, we talked a little bit about that last week. And, of course, we will do our standard check-in, where we talk about the Mythic Championship that happened this weekend. It's currently happening now. I believe it's probably, the top eight is probably starting in like an hour or something, or maybe it's already started, I don't know. Um, 
And we will also have our Enter the Arena segment. So we'll kick it off with the uh, the big news, how to become a Mythic Champion. So Wizards released their kind of long-awaited uh, roadmap for qualifying for Mythic Championships and the World Championship. Uh, so they have done away with uh, Pro Points, the Pro Point system, uh, you know, tiered levels like Bronze, Silver, Gold, whatever. They've done away with all that. And in its place, they have put a, another point system now called Mythic Points. So everything is Mythic now. Yeah, there's no rare points or anything. Definitely no uncommon points. You might get them on Magic Online. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, I, I have the article open. I did a control F for a Mythic. Do you want to take a guess as to how many times he used the word Mythic in this article? I would guess... Oh, that's a rough one. Um, I'm going to guess 23. 23 times. No, no. Is it much higher than that? 67. Oh my god. 67. Is it really 67? That's amazing. Yeah, it actually is. <laughs> I, I actually, in my head, I had 66, and I was like, no, I won't say that. That's way too high. Yeah, well, what he should have. Um, so, Mythic Points sounds amazing. Um, so, you can earn Mythic Points by doing well in Mythic Championships, either the MTG Arena ones or the Tabletop ones. Uh, there, I, I'll link the article, of course, where all this is detailed in the show notes and you can kind of check out how much or how many mythic points you'll get for each kind of finish at a mythic championship it depends on your match points in the paper tournaments and it depends where you place in the arena tournaments because the arena tournaments will only be 52 player so 52 player mythic championships on arena with seven hundred and fifty thousand dollar prize money yeah they seem like such insanely better ev than the the paper tournaments it's hilarious. You can see them side by side, and it just says MTG Arena Mythic Championships, fifty-two players, tabletop Mythic Championships, up to five hundred players, and then the the arena ones have seven hundred and fifty thousand dollar prize pool, and the tabletop ones have five hundred thousand dollar prize pool. Yeah, it's pretty outrageous the difference. It makes sense though. Obviously, they want to push the arena events more and stuff like that. But yeah, yeah, it's kind of crazy. Um, so I guess the, these these two different types of events will have different paths to qualify as well so i'll i'll just kind of run down those a little bit so the tabletop mythic championships you'll be able to qualify through a grand prix so still if you have top eight at a grand prix or i believe it's 39 match points which is as good as a top eight you'll qualify for a tabletop mythic championship so that's kind of not changing however anything below that in a grand prix basically gets you nothing Whereas before, it would have gotten you a couple of pro points. And with enough pro points, you'll eventually get silver and you'll get a pro tour invite. So doing medium or quite well, but not the best at Grand Prix doesn't do anything for you anymore, except you'll get a bit of cash. Yeah, everyone kind of figured this is how it was going at Grand Prix, right? That they're becoming kind of these more casual events and stuff like that. But this really like puts the nail in the coffin, like the removal of levels and, and pro points and the fact that, yeah, like, you know, going you know 11-4 or whatever at a gp doesn't 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 get you anywhere towards a mythic championship i really think you're just not going to see kind of uh these like pros traveling for for grand prix very much anymore yeah definitely yeah, it kind of takes away your incentives to yeah it, it takes away the incentive just to chain a lot of grand prix together you know it's like yeah if you're if you're if you're in contention for silver or gold you're you're basically nothing's going to stop you from from going to all the grand prix you can to get there but now it's just like well now it was you know it's kind of shifting our view to see Grand Prix as being individual events that you have individual results for that don't necessarily uh, follow into uh, the following ones. Yeah, I guess the fact that um, 
there's there are more PTQs now, right, or, or MTQs at, at Grand Prix, like that might make kind of aspiring pros more likely to go, grinders and stuff like that. And the fact that you need whatever it is, a couple hundred Planeswalker points every couple of months to keep playing uh, MCQs, like uh, like they're they're definitely like changing the aim for like who who it appeals to to uh, to go to GPS. Yeah. I think the worst thing about all of this is uh, the worst thing about the name changes to many people who will say, "Oh, but Kieran, what's a Grand Prix?" We know, we know what it is. Yeah, well, it's, it's still a Grand Prix, so the it event, is you know, it's Grand Prix. Yeah, within yeah. A, it's within a Magic Fest. Exactly. So it's got to get used to it. Yeah. So just kind of being there all the time and doing okay all the time is no longer going to get you where you need. Uh, Grand Prix are essentially like big qualifiers. Big mythic qualifiers. Yeah, yeah huge mythic qualifiers. I so it, it's probably in your interest to just play the MCQs if you're going to the Magic Fest and you're that way inclined. But again, these uh, these only qualify you for tabletop mythic championships, which, as we just said, are far lower EV than the arena ones, which only have 52 players. So like, maybe if you really are serious about this, maybe you're better off just playing arena. Possibly, but yeah. let me let me just run down the uh, the qualification path yeah. as well for tabletop, and then we're going to the arena one. So another way to qualify through ta- in the tabletop ones is the Mythic Championship qualifiers that will take place at WPN stores. So they've announced that 150 of these will happen uh, globally uh, for like the qualification season. And for the first season, they're going to be open to all players, regardless of of anything. But after that, they're going to be only open to players who have uh, 200 planes, 200 planeswalker points earned April 1st to June 30th. So you have a fairly short window there to earn 200 planeswalker points. Just going to events every week will probably get you there. But uh, now that like PBTQs are gone, they were a big boost. So um, for that period, they're boosting uh, Friday Night Magic competitive events like a, a double multiplier. Then. Yeah, I think this this won't affect that many players. I certainly know players like in Ireland that that almost exclusively would have played PPTQs and like not played very many weekly events in their local store. So like players who do that are going to have to think about like you know going to enough events to uh to qualify for these MCQs now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So then another way to qualify for the tabletop uh, Mythic Championships is through the Magic Online Championships and Mythic Championship qualifiers. So they're I'm pretty sure they're just staying the same way they are. Like they're they're renaming the PTQs to Mythic Championship qualifiers, and the the actual championships are staying the same. And then, of course, the Magic Pro League. So the 32 players in the Magic Pro League will be invited to each one of these um, pro players club levels. So for the first year or whatever it is that while the changeover is happening, the people who would have had invite invites from like uh, gold or whatever will still be able to be invited to the MCE. To the Mythic Championships, and also you'll get an invite based on prior performance. Um, so the challengers who finish at least 33 match points in the previous Mythic Championship, so 11 wins basically gets you an invite to the next one. It's also you also get invites to the Team Series leaderboard, the top eight teams from the Mythic Championship Team Series leaderboard. Um, so that's basically that's the paper qualification path, and there are still some questions based around the 150 events around the world that are basically going to be MCQs that are going to be run by local stores because it's like which stores get them and they still haven't announced that. Um, so I know there's a lot of worry in the Irish scene that we won't get one, basically. 
Yeah, I would be. I wouldn't be surprised if we didn't get one for sure. Yeah, not yeah. to be all doom and gloom, but yeah. Yeah, I, 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 just like I guess let's look at the numbers. Um, you know, usually there's a uh, 36 RPQs around the world. Obviously, your RPQs will be a lot smaller. So I guess like the jump from 36 up to 150, um, you know, could include a, a few more countries. So Ireland, Ireland at the moment doesn't have or didn't have any RPQs. Um, so we're, we're going to see a big expansion of of countries. Well, hopefully, of countries or cities uh, that didn't have RPQs now getting uh, MCQs. Um, so Ireland could be one of them. Yeah, I think it could be like a return to the old PTQ system. I'm I'm pretty hopeful that that's what it will be. Yeah, that'd be good. That'd be that'd be great. It'd just be like a kind of just, be, it's a big weekend for all the community to get together. Um, you know, for for an event, kind of like kind of like nationals, smaller. I'm also not 100 percent sure how many players get involved in invited from each of those. I kind of assume it's just one player, or yeah, I think it's just going to be one player, maybe two from each qualifier. Yeah, I would imagine it's going to be one if there's 150 yeah. events each season. It doesn't mention yeah. the Hall of Fame here either, so I know that's kind of being being sundowned as well, or they're maybe going to change it to some kind of new Hall of Fame, but it it doesn't mention that uh, Hall of Famers are, are, are qualifying automatically for these Mythic Championships. Yeah, I think that that kind of information will be is probably being worked on and is not decided yet and will be coming in the future. Yeah, as we did note this weekend that uh, Patrick Shapen was playing a real standard deck for the first time we've seen in a long time. So yeah. maybe the Hall of Famers are a little bit worried about uh, staying on the train. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so the Arena Mythic Championships, the qualification path for these, is a bit more simple, really. Um, so the Magic Pro League, of course, 32 players. So that leaves uh, 20 spots more. There are prior performance invites. And then there is the Mythic Championship Qualifier Weekend. So this will be like, I think it's a monthly thing, or I'm not sure, maybe it's once per season. But uh, if you are in the top 1,000 Mythic rank in either Constructed or Limited at the end of the month or in a set time period on Magic Arena, you will be invited to compete in the Mythic Championship Qualifier Weekend, uh, which will be a, a tournament that will be multi-day and it will be set up to you know the top 1000 players play against each other and then some some amount of players will get invited back for sunday or saturday and then the top eight will play it out on like sunday or whatever um and let me just check who so on saturday uh, all the challengers will compete in stage one everyone who reaches the maximum number of wins will advance to sunday stage two um i don't know if there will be a maximum number of losses it doesn't mention anything about that so i guess it's just the maximum number of wins uh on sunday of mythic qualifier weekend everyone who advance will compete in a swiss pair tournament and then the top 16 players from that tournament will qualify for the mythic championship so you have to be 16 out of a thousand you have to be in the thousand first so you have to be in the top 1000 in, in mythic in constructor limited and then if you are the top 16 out of that 1000 player tournament then you get it's kind of like playing a, a grand prix yeah, it's yeah. like playing a Grand Prix, but it's uh, it's kind of unclear how many rounds are on day one to me. Like, it just says the maximum number of wins, so they're kind of keeping it a bit vague. Yeah, no, th there's a few things like that that are not exactly concrete yet. It also, I don't think it says, uh, so it, it mentions Sunday, on Sunday, the stage two play will be the the one that's that's paired like in Swiss it will be best of three but it doesn't mention 
what the format will be for day one play. Yeah, they're obviously keeping it open, and maybe they just kind of haven't fully figured out how long it's going to take to run, you know, a thousand-player tournament like over the course of a day online, and kind of what they have to do there. I don't know. It's it's interesting, but I mean, that could be pretty brutal if it's like if it's like uh you know a current PTQ at like a Grand Prix or or the ones from like last the last couple of years where like you pretty much have to go like you know six zero or seven zero or whatever to qualify for day two. That's going to be pretty tough. Well, we could probably work it out could we from so it says at least 128 challengers will qualify for stage two on sunday so if you're going from a thousand to 128 how many rounds is that it's like four rounds is it oh uh no it's more than that you need the top you need to figure out like the top you know 12 percent or whatever the field so i think you need like it like i don't know eight rounds or something maybe i'm way off there i just threw that out it also says if too few players reach the maximum number of wins, additional challengers will advance to stage two based on how well they did in the event. Interesting. I'm not sure what the story mm. is with this maximum number of wins. Yeah. I think it's going to be like elimination because it says Sunday is going to be Swiss. It doesn't say day one is going to be Swiss. So that makes me think it's going to be single or double elimination. Yeah, it certainly could be. And it could even be the, the duo standard format that they've announced for the, uh, the Mythic Invitational. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's always going to be tough to qualify for the PT or the Mythic Championship, uh, but it seems like this could be this could be particularly brutal, like having to have such a ridiculously hot run. Yeah, and even like to get to the top one thousand in the first place, uh, like say Wolf, um, I know you're, you're Mythic at the moment. Or would, so would you be like, are you, are you comfortably in the top one thousand, or do you have to play consistently to stay there? Um, so if people don't know how it works with Mythic, um, when you hit Mythic in magic arena you will be placed so based on your I, th I think it uses some form of like elo or mmr or something like that um so you'll be placed in a rank or if you're not in the top i think it's like the top one percent because it's not actually yeah if, if you're not in the top one percent or whatever I, i'm not sure exactly what percent it is uh you will be given a percent and okay you're... so you'll get like 99% or 97%. So I remember last month when I when I got into Mythic, I placed in at like 95%, and then I won like two or three matches, and I got into the top 1,000 at like whatever it was, 987, okay? And um, yeah. then this month, I got into the top 1,000 at like 500, and I think that depending, like the longer you leave it, I think people do pass, your, your rank does decay, so the longer you leave it, I think the more people enter Mythic, so your rank will be pushed down more and more. And I'm not 100% sure, but I think it does take, like, how recent your, like, your recent record is more important than reaching back into the past. So, like, if you stop, yeah, that's okay. you, yeah. you'll fall down quicker. As far as I know, I'm not, not 100%, but I think that's how it is. Yeah, okay. and keep in mind as well, it's going to be, like, once this kicks in, and... Uh... So ne next season or whatever, like people are going to be taking this a lot more seriously to, to stay in the top 1,000. So it's going to be a lot tougher than it is now. Well, yeah, people are already taking it quite seriously this month because of that. The top eight get Mythic Invitational invites. But you're right. People are going to be fighting to stay in the top 1,000 rather than just getting to the top eight, which is like really, really hard. Um, yeah, like cur like currently, yeah. let's say there's a thousand people who are all fighting to, to get in the top eight, like and they're all taking it really seriously. But like next month, there's going to be like 10,000 players all trying to be in the top 1,000, you know? It's like, it's going to be totally like, because no, like at the moment, you could just be like 700th or whatever, and it's pointless. So like, you're not, you maybe aren't going to get pushed down that fast. 
but like but next season you will because like it really matters that you're seven hundredth place. Yeah, yeah. I think I think because sorry, yeah, I'll go ahead. Yeah, because yeah, I, I thought such because you know get, yeah, getting into one top one thousand is, is is a lot more obtainable than than top eight. That uh, you know, I say when when I, when I saw the top eighteen come out, I was like, oh, there's no way I can, you know, there's no way I have enough time to to, to even attempt that. Whereas um now yeah, but now it's like you know get get, get into the top one thousand or something. I think you know I could do so. You probably will get a lot of people who will be trying, you know, in the first place. Uh, you know, a, lot, a lot of people will probably just dismiss the top eight thing, knowing they can't get there. Where I think a lot, of people, a lot more people will think they can get to the one thousand. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. That is that is quite true. Um, at the same time, though, I even I found it quite I found it harder this month than last month, like noticeably harder. Like last month when I got into the top one thousand, I never fell out of it. Like I moved around, but I never fell out. But this month I got into the top one thousand uh like early-ish in the month i guess i took the first week off but then in the second week i got there and uh my highest the highest that i climbed was like around number 50 like 48 or something like that but then i went on a losing streak and i got pushed all the way down to like 90 percent. i fell way out of the top 1000 wow. just managed to God. climb back in now so like i i have i have noticed the competition going up this month significantly yeah the competition's gonna go up and just the sheer numbers are going to go up as well so i think it's very doable and people you know if they if they want to go for it like it's definitely a lot more achievable as i said than like this get it getting like literally the top eight but uh it's it's definitely gonna to be tough still yeah yep so that is the mythic qualification path this is what we're going to be doing in the future we'll get there yep so moving on uh speaking of mythic championships as well it was announced that there will be at mythic championship london a new mulligan is going to be tested. So I can't remember what people are calling this, but it's the London mulligan anyway. Um, but it's a variant of mulliganing. Uh, so instead of mulliganing each time and going down one card, so as we do it now, you don't like your seven, so you go down to six, and then you get a scry if you want to keep or whatever, and then you go down to five, you go down to four. So in this one, every time you mulligan, you will always draw seven, but when you decide to keep, you get to pick and choose which cards from your hand you will put on the bottom of your library, and you put a number of cards equal to the amount of times you've mulliganed. So if you look at your opening seven and you don't like it, you will put it back, you'll draw a new seven, shuffle of course, draw a new seven, and if you're happy enough with that seven, you will take the one card which you don't really like from it, or the one card which doesn't help you as much, and you'll put it on the bottom of your library. So you'll have six now, but you kind of get to pick from seven, the best six from seven. Yeah, I think this is really interesting. It's, um, I think it's very good for limited, which is definitely one of the places they're focused on. It's, it's really going to like, the power level seems appropriate there, and it's going to really reduce the amount of like non-games that you see in limited. Which is a which is a big problem to be honest. You know, if you go draft, you only get to th- play three rounds for your deck and with your deck, and it's such a bummer if if you just get mana screwed in like two of your rounds or whatever. You feel like your whole evening has basically gone to waste. So this is going to stop that from happening. For constructed, I'm a little bit wary of this. It seems like it could be way way too powerful for certain strategies. Um, just getting to see this many cards. I think I think when you mulligan to six, it's there doesn't seem to be that much difference to me in terms of uh, like mulling to six and having a scry run, a scry one and and mulling to seven and, and losing one of the cards like that 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 doesn't seem like too far apart from each other. But when you're talking about going to five, 
it seems like you're so much better off now which is i mean which is a good thing because like more like to five means you're currently you're you're very unlikely to win the game yes you are i think you're more likely to have much better hands with this i suppose and you're you're definitely correct that it's going to be much better and limited because like the overall power level of people's cards and just like how they work together there's no real combos in limited all that often um but yeah constructed this is kind of dangerous and it is being tested in modern, so this Mythic Championship will be will be a modern Mythic Championship. Of course, there's a limited portion as well. Um, so, I don't know. I just think this is kind of a, a bit of a risky move from them. I do like their willingness to experiment and change. Like, I think when they announced the change to the current mulligan system that we have, the Vancouver mulligan with the scry, I think everyone was just positive about that because it just it's so obvious that it's better than a normal mulligan. Um this one, I think, is just more than a simple tweak on the old mulligan system. It's it's like quite different. So that's why people are reacting to it so strongly, I think. But I don't know. Wizards have said that they've tested it and they like it. And I mean, they're not saying that this is how it has to be. They just want to test it in a larger environment. But I don't know. Is modern the right place to test it? Or is it like is it too risky to be testing it in modern and kind of ruining, quote unquote, this tournament for people? Or is that just the best place to test it because we can actually see how broken it will be in modern? Uh, yeah, I think that's a really good point. I think modern is a really good place to test this in terms of if it's if it's not broken in modern, then it's probably not broken anywhere because a lot of the powerful strategies are so linear. If we want to talk about like particular decks in modern that uh, that this could be dangerously good for, I think what comes to mind for me one are like all in combo decks like uh Grishel brand so like uh like Gorio's vengeance reanimation decks like because that deck really only cares about assembling you know like a discard outlet uh you know a fatty and and a reanimation spell in its opening hand and like if you could be pretty confident that you're going to get two out of those three pieces by like mulling to five i think you would like that 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 deck mulligan so aggressively anyway right that like getting letting them see seven cards three times in a row they're so much more likely to be able to assemble that combo um so i think that's going to be really oppressive because because that deck the problem with it at the moment is that it's not consistent enough in its opening hands like when when you assemble your combo in your opening hand you're going to win the game almost every time in game one um but uh, like so so they're just going to be able to do that so much more frequently uh, i think like dredge is another one that people have been talking about comes to mind immediately because like they don't care about mulliganing at all because like cards in their hand is is not even really a resource a lot of the time for a dredge player so like just being able to like get so many more shots again at seeing a discard outlet and a stinkweed imp or whatever it, like it's gonna i think that's gonna be very oppressive and like dredge already basically wins every game one when they have a smooth opening and that's just gonna be every single game one against dredge now i know people are saying that i mean we can maybe talk about this a little bit more in a bit people are saying that you're more likely to find your sideboard cards against that stuff as well which is true but like when you always lose game one like you're still behind in that scenario you know what i mean yeah 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 uh and then so the third type of deck that i think really benefits from this isn't really a combo deck but i'm thinking of like prison decks that run like chalice of the void and blood moon um and like mana acceleration like again that's just like a broken start that like currently if you just have four chalice of the void in your deck you know you're not going to get that every single time you're, you're less than like you're whatever you're like 40 percent or whatever to have your have that in your opening hand uh if you have four copies of a card but like and like you can't like you you do mulligan aggressively for it so like that's 
people are going to mulligan just as aggressively for their Chalice of the Voids or whatever, but they're just going to be so much more likely to see them. Um, that I think that could be quite oppressive as well. Same with Blood Moon. I mean, Blood Moon is at least at least cost three mana, so maybe that's not too bad. Yeah, I think I think it's a really good point you made about, about Dredge. Um, even though, um, yeah, because you know, Dredge I guess fights on a different axis, and you know when you beat Dredge game one, it's, it's most of the time it's just because they didn't get it off to a fast fast enough start. Uh, you know, Dredge loses to itself more more often than you know, losing to other decks. Um, so yeah, if so, even if you have yeah, even even though yeah, you're, you, you can sideboard, you can get your sideboard cards, uh, you know, in your open hand easier with this moving. Um, but you're still playing against like uh, overcharged, super powered dredge. Uh, uh, but they're 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 going to be aware that you're going to be bringing in uh, ley lines, and they're aware that you know it's likely you'll have ley lines uh, post board in your opening hand. So they they know just to also you know aggressively mulligan for their uh, nature's claim or, or whatever. So change the, it, it will have a big impact um, on modern. I think yeah, like like Will said, it's it is good that they're you know, handing this over to the pros with high stakes to see how broken making. Um, so I, I definitely am very skeptical. I, I think you know, you know one thing one thing I always keep in mind is you know, say playing Tron. It's like Tron. You you usually are aggressive. You want to get, to get your Tron pieces, and the deck has so much um, redundancy redundancy anyway that you know, it, it's you, you can you can happily throw away you know, throw away four cards from your opening hand uh, just to keep you know the, the three Tron pieces. And then at that point, you know once, once your Tron is online, it, it almost doesn't matter what cards are in your hand. Like the amount of times you win while having five cards in your hand, you know, just yeah, goes to show how that light dredge just you know, plays magic on a different axis. Uh, the axis being the, com- the few combo cards in your ha- in your hand, and not necessarily the number of cards in your hand. Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, like along the lines of Tron, which which is another deck that benefits creators from this, is like uh, decks that play like Eldrazi Temple uh, cards like that that are really powerful, really narrow, because. The problem, so yeah, people are saying like, oh, you can mulligan for your ley lines against Dredge. What do you do against Eldrazi when when they just get to see so many cards to find their Eldrazi Temple, or you know, like if Ayavugan wasn't wasn't banned in Modern to find their their Ayavugan or whatever, yeah. you know what I mean? You can't do anything about that even with sideboard cards. They're like, it's just yeah, yeah. You just can't fight against that. So these decks are just getting such a huge advantage, and that you don't even have the argument of oh, well, I get to. It's much easier for me to find my, you know. Alpine Moon or whatever. Are you really playing? Yeah, like that, you know, Ghost Quarter. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I think that's yeah, that's true. I think um, yeah. I, I think maybe yeah. I feel like maybe we are kind of going on, going down the long long the, you know, thinking of the wrong path in terms of you know discussing how combo decks get very very powerful. But I think you're right. I think it is these uh you know mid range rampy decks like yeah, Dragon Temple uh or even like you know Ponza Stone Rain Stone Rain kind of things. Uh, I think those are ones that we will see. Yeah, I guess super powerful because yeah, they, they they're not just dismantled by one sideboard card. Yeah, um, and like not to mention the type of decks like white decks say that play like rest in peace and stony silence and stuff like that. They tend to be like the the reactive decks anyway, right? The, like the fair decks, and those are the decks that actually need more cards in hand to win the game usually than the, than the decks we're talking about. So like, yeah. that's not even an advantage, you know, because you can't you just can't mulligan as much with those decks as you can with the aggressive decks. I mean, people do already. They mulligan for their sideboard cards pretty aggressively, but like, you know what I mean? It's it's you're you're not yeah, in a good spot. You're, like people think that people are saying like like it's fair because because both people get to mulligan. Like one person gets to find the threat, the other person gets to find the answer. But like the fact is, okay, like the like you win get you're always ahead in game one as the aggressor. So like even if it was completely 50 50 after that that's still a huge advantage over the course of a match for the uh for the deck presenting the threat and then 
I don't even think it is fair after that. I think I think you're still advantaged as the person finding the threats compared to the person who has to find the sideboard cards. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think it's actually a, it's, it's actually funny to point out that you know, these 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 are the decks that care more about number of cards in their hand. Uh, you know, I mean, the amount of times that you know, say if you know, white deck comes in, so this silence gets Tron. Uh, if they're not, if that's not backed up by a threat, which will be more likely if they have you know gone down to five to five or six cards to find and um, find their, their answer. Uh, if it's not backed up by a threat, combo deck can just can continue to spin its wheels uh, without being um, without being put under pressure and eventually you know, go off anyway. Yep, definitely. And like, so I mean, LSV said this on Twitter, but like a large reason for this, they're testing this change is probably because of the finals of the last Pro Tour, where LSV multi four in the final game, it was a complete non game, and yeah. you know that was it, it was over. That like that is probably actually the the single most significant reason why they're doing this. And it is much better for coverage. Like this is obviously another esports focused change where they want coverage to be more exciting. Like I was only talking to someone last night, uh, and I mentioned I played Magic, and they said, "Oh, I don't like Magic. I play Hearthstone. Uh, Magic is too much RNG." And obviously, what they were thinking about is getting mana screwed or mana floated and stuff like that. So, and I told yeah, them, "Oh, yeah. well, if you pl- if you play Arena now, there's actually a mode where they smooth out your your draws, and uh, you always get nice opening hands." And they were like, oh, that's very interesting. I might uh, I might try that out. You know what I mean? So this type of stuff is a big factor to people and it will make magic kind of uh, more inviting for, for casual players. So, but is that enough to like possibly compromise the integrity of the game? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think I think what the point you made there is something that a lot of people I think do underestimate how important this is to other players. That, uh, yeah, I, I, I've had people say from, you know, from the Hearthstone community say the same thing to me about, about magic. Like, oh, you know, it's, it's, it's so annoying that you know, you're missing land drops or whatever. Um, so these these are things that hardcore magic players say to say, oh, this is gonna kill magic. Like, like say this the algorithm on on arena smoothing at your curve. So even though you know a lot of though it's kind of I think we almost just have to accept that this is gonna be good for the game. Uh, it's gonna be good for the growth of the game. It's important for bringing in new players. Um, and then maybe maybe we'll get over it. Maybe uh, might we'll see. I, I think I think I think the more I think about it, the more I like that this is being tested at a at a modern uh, pro tour, uh, or whatever it's called, um, because yeah, we're we're, we're going to see it push to its very limit, and then you know if I think if the if this tournament ends up being fine or ends up being fair, um, then I think they'll definitely yeah, bring it in because I think the upside of uh, this new mulligan is uh, so high. Um, once we iron out the potential ten side, I think we're fine. Do you think that they yep. ever consider introducing different mulligans by format so that they could have this one? For say limited and standard, and they could keep the old one for older formats. I think I I don't really like the idea of that. I know I know people do that for you know commander or whatever already, and like you know in multiplayer games of Magic, you get you get a free or you you know you get to you get to draw on your first turn or whatever. So there are like slightly different variations in terms of like your mulligan and your opening hand per format already, but I don't really like that. I. I I think whatever system, I don't know, maybe that's old fashioned of me to think that whatever system they have, it should be, should work across the board because as, because like I already admitted, I think this is good for limited. So yeah, maybe they could go that direction. I don't know. I think it's an interesting question. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. At the same time, I think, mm, I don't know. It's weird. It's like the, do the same crowd play standard competitively or limited competitively as play commander because. Okay, Commander has different different mulligan rules, but 
it's almost like to be honest like a lot of people have their own like house rules for mulligans and commander and stuff like that i think if there were different mulligans for modern and then standard and limited like those are those are the three kind of pillars of magic i think and if you separated them like that i feel like people would make mistakes as well and they'd mulligan like the wrong way sometimes yeah i would be worried about that i mean yeah i mean maybe that's just something that like you have to you have to live with if you do this i don't know it it is interesting i'm i'm actually i'm very interested to see the results of this format i would love to try this at legacy you could just like playing ad nauseum tendrils storm in, in legacy i'm pretty sure you could consistently win on turn one with this mulligan yeah rule how about how about a bizarre bite that in a vintage yeah or like goblin char belcher in legacy as well like yeah like do you literally would be able to go off turn one every single game yeah yeah it, it just turns into do you have force of will in hand yes or no yep yeah and again as we said with modern it's the, the player with the force of will it's way worse for them to have to mulligan aggressively to force a will multiple times than for the, yeah. the combo player so yeah, i don't know we'll it, see how it goes yeah. we'll see how it goes yeah yeah watch this face one thing that i think is interesting or i guess kind of slightly annoys me is people saying oh well if it reduces the number of non-games i'm all for it but like we just talked at length about how <laughs> in modern like a lot of game ones just become literally non-games like nothing one player could do and then game twos like both players like, mulligan aggressively one for their combo the other for the like absolute hate card that nukes the other nukes the combo so that's kind of the definition of playing past each other and not interacting really at all yeah yeah that's kind of a problem in modern in general though like this might make it worse but the core of that issue is just the way the format is you know i think uh i think at this stage we just have to throw the whole format away it's dirty yeah people hate it <laughs> no one likes playing modern yeah Rockin'. get rid of it yeah. bring up frontier yeah <laughs> remember when we started this podcast as a frontier podcast well we didn't really but we talked about frontier in like the first three episodes oh uh, yeah Great format. Yeah. I, I mean there there is going to be some kind of frontier-esque format now on arena yeah. eventually right like <laughs> like rotation already happened all that stuff although didn't they they wiped the accounts right so maybe yeah. maybe it's still a welcome yeah yeah they wiped people's accounts but you know they they have promised that there will be a format so come september well i assume sometime before september we'll know more about this format but come september we'll be playing this format maybe i guess well Probably not because like the Ixalan cards are the only thing that'll be in there, right? So that's kind of crap. Um, I mean, they have support for all the older cards for like the you know for going back to Kaladesh or whatever on Arena already. The cards are already coded in there, so I wouldn't be surprised if they just let you craft cards from the from those sets as well. That's true, but that that would be. I feel like that'd be a really weird way to dump these cards on Arena after after having played Arena for a while now. At first, I was like, uh, they could just. They could just throw in all the old sets that they have because I think they started testing Arena uh, when like Shadows of Innistrad came out. So they actually, in like their internal files, they have all the way back to Shadows over Innistrad those cards. But like if they just dumped all those cards on like whatever day the same the new set came out in September, then that'd be really weird because like nobody would like you'd have to invest hundreds and hundreds to buy them. It would be really odd to get them. Like nobody would play that format for ages until they had spent enough kind of odd wildcards here and there that they were able to get them. Yeah, I agree. And as well, it's going to be, I, I could see it being very confusing for new players who like don't understand standard legality and like they just assume they can play with whatever cards on Arena they want that they craft and then suddenly they can't put them in their standard deck, you know? 
Yeah, I, I was. I assume the way to do it would be um, well, obviously you're not, you're not doing it yet, but uh, to have you know, quote unquote, flashback flashback drafts of you know, Kaladesh and then of of each and then of 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 Israel, of uh, of Amaket, just you know, of all of the previous of all of these previous limited formats uh, leading up to the introduction of uh, a new and uh, constructed format. So yeah, people have some of the guards from from these drafts uh, you know, in, in their collection already. I think they will do that, but they also have to be careful with it because like. Again, I think people like new players would get pissed if they spend their like you know they spent ages grinding their five thousand gold or whatever, and then they do a draft and like take a cool rare, and then they find out that the, like the set they're drafting isn't standard legal. Yeah, 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 sure, actually, yeah. yeah, I don't know. But they can get around that. That's an easy problem to solve, but it's just it's something they're gonna have to think about. Yeah, that's that considered. Yeah, it's definitely a, a cool way to do it, and like we see them doing it already with like Ixalan and Dominaria and sets that are not current. But they come up in the draft cycle, and you can draft them every like couple of weeks. There, you know, every month they'll have a, a different one that comes back, and that's a way to build up your collection from that set. So it's definitely a good idea. Um, but yeah, I think people might get a bit confused. Maybe you could just like hide it in a menu somewhere so that only enfranchised players knew about it. I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's possible. Pretty- all right. Shall we move on to uh, talking about the Mythic Championship that's happening? Yes, indeed, we shall. Um, right now. So- Mythic Championship won. 2019 MC won. Hashtag Mythic Cleveland Championship. This is two brothers. Yeah, so that's been going on this weekend in Cleveland. And it's been pretty exciting. Um, we have metagame breakdowns. We have the top eight now. So I'm not sure. I, I Again, I assume the top eight is in progress at the moment. I don't want to open Twitch because I'm afraid it'll be really loud. Um, but yeah, uh, the top eight. If people don't want to be spoiled, then stop listening now, I guess. But I'm sure you've already watched it. Uh, the top eight uh, is pretty diverse. It's actually quite interesting. So there's three mono blue tempo. So that's kind of the part that's not diverse. Then there's a Simic Nexus deck, which everyone loves to hate. There's a, an Esper Control deck. There's a White Weenie deck, which is splashing blue. There is a mono red deck, splashing green. There is an Is It Phoenix deck. So is it Phoenix? That is a that is a deep cut. We haven't seen one of those in a while. Yeah, it's LSV playing it as well. He's always uh, always brings the interesting decks, except when he's playing White Weenie. Yeah, that's yeah. Bad. It's really cool. I was thinking about that card recently. I was like, could this be a thing again? But then I was just like, why would you play Arclight Phoenix? You know, I just couldn't figure out a, like a reason why it would be good in the meta. But obviously, it is. Yeah, yeah. It's um, I suppose it's kind of you're you're making your it's it's more of an all in, an all in strategy um. That well, maybe maybe yeah, that's what you reckon that people this wouldn't be on people's radar because I guess if if, if they can reliably remove your complementary answer, it, it is quite hard to have your so starts. Um, maybe he just realized this this, this is the weekend. I don't know. People are playing less shocks. People are um, doing something different on turn two. Um, like I, I could definitely see it it being kind of strategy that's that's lots into the meta you know during one weekend. Um, but then can quickly. Uh, yeah, it's interesting because I think people kind of knew that Mono Blue was going to be the most popular deck or one of the most popular decks going into the weekend. So you, so if you pl- if you're playing against a lot of Mono Blue, the strategy seems good because Mono Blue can't deal with the, you, you know, you playing an Electromancer and then you, like you kind of don't even really care if they're countering a lot of your spells after that because you still get to bring back your Phoenix and and a lot of your cards that you're casting are just cantrips anyway, so it doesn't really matter if they counter them. So so that's interesting. But what I would have thought is like people are going to be playing decks with more cheap removal so they can deal with these mono blue decks, in which case Electromancer is not very good because they're they're going to be able to remove it, as you said. 
but obviously that's yeah, the yeah. way things have shaken out for him. So, so it's very, it's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. And you get to play four shocks in this deck as well, which is nice to deal with yeah, mono blue. Yeah. Honestly, I think that people like the the prevalence of mono blue is actually pushing people away from removal because it's so hard to just try to remove mono blue's things every turn because they have so many protection spells so it's actually better to play like proactive threats like crawl harpooner is what a lot of people are playing and like uh, insulta and stuff like that and like trimming down on the number of rascus contents and things like that i think shock is still good as you mentioned shock but um other types of removal like spencer removal even cast down like you can't hope to cast a cast down and have it resolve against mono blue until like turn four until you have four mana uh, and even then, like, they might have a hard counter by that stage, or they might have a dive down. Yeah, I mean, it's like, if you're on the play, you just you can just cast it on turn two and kill their, or kill their one drop while they're tapped out. Yeah. And I think usually usually that's that'll slow the game down enough that they don't get, like, oppressively far ahead. But then, I don't know, maybe these players are just, like, not casting their one drop on turn one as well. Like, if, if they think that's what's going to happen, maybe they just wait till they have the backup. Yeah, yeah. So we have um, metagame breakdown information as well so they gave us a fairly comprehensive um breakdown of of the type of decks so soul time mid-range in day one was 21.5 percent of the field nexus of fate was next with 14 percent white aggro 12 percent mono blue tempo 12 percent esper control next with nine is it drake six percent red aggro 5.6 rakdos mid-range 3.6 and then we have kind of uh whole mess of things like Selesnia tokens, Gruel midrange, Is it Phoenix, Esper midrange, stuff like that, all with quite small metagame shares. And then if we move over to the uh, the breakdown of day two and the conversion rates, we can see that uh, day two, Sultai had, again, 21%, so conversion rate of 63.6%. Nexus of Fate had a conversion rate of 70%. White Aggro, 67. Mono Blue Tempo, 60. Esper Control, 60. Is it Drake's had a 43% conversion rate, so that's pretty low. Um, Red Aggro, 60. Rakdos Midrange, 50. Selesnya Token, 70% conversion rate out of uh, out of 10 players. Gruel Midrange, 80%. Team of Reclamation, 77%. Is it Phoenix with a 100% conversion rate? All seven players <laughs> day two. That's cool. Jesus. Although, again, are they all CFB players? But like, when it, when you start get to like low low number uh, to like taste a, take a statistic from, plus it could all be like incredibly good players from a really good team playing the deck. That's you know the numbers start to get a bit iffy. I think. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent looks very impressive, but it is just seven players that could totally be variance. Um, I don't think it. I don't think it was like the CFB team deck or anything like that. Although I'm not hundred percent sure, so don't quote me on that. I think I think it's. Just um, just LSV from CFB who played it, but I'm not 100% sure. That makes sense. I think it's a good deck for him. It's very like legacy-esque. You know, you get to play all these cantrips, all this card selection and stuff like that. And I think like it's a good deck for him because like LSV is just so far and away a better player than, than almost all of his opponents that like just getting to like make more decisions and see more of your deck is, is going to give you a lead. Like, and you can, you can really leverage that skill edge by like playing, uh, playing all these selection spells. Yeah, yeah. He, he is the player to take advantage of it, I think. I mean, I'm sure there's a few players who could take advantage of it, but you know, he is definitely one of the ones who comes to mind with his love of legacy and nonsense formats like that. <laughs> uh, also, the the top eight was pretty kind of stacked like in terms of players, of course. 
all the players are very good. They're in the top eight of a Mythic Championship, the first Mythic Championship. Um, but, I mean, you have Marcio Carvalho in there, multiple top eight competitor, LSV, who, Kieran, you, you called him earlier the GOAT. So you think he's going to take over from John Finkel at some point? I think so. I mean, he just keeps winning, right? Like, it's ridiculous. Like, it's just not going to stop. He's just going to keep getting these top eights. The guy is an absolute monster. I mean, yeah, definitely one of the greatest, uh, like, post-Hall of Fame, post-quote-unquote retirement um, performances of any pro. I mean, I think, like, LSV might have, like, three Hall of Fame-worthy spans in his Magic career at this point. You know, it's yeah, just insane. And even like he's kind of like retired twice almost because he like took that year off for coverage. Yeah, he like came off like what two top eights, decided to to do coverage for a year, came off coverage, and immediately just started crushing again. Like it's outrageous. It's great <laughs> two top eights. <laughs> easy, easy games. Yeah. So another great is uh, Reed Duke. Yeah, delighted for Reed that he he got another top yeah. eight. So awesome. He's again. He's just he's just one of the best phases of Magic, right? He's 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 the guy that you want, you know, at the feature match area. Basically every round, he's he's just he's just such a good ambassador for the game. Such an amazing mm. player. Uh, yeah, delighted for him for top eighting. Yeah, yeah, great guy. And uh, so we have other people like, for example, uh, Yoshiko Ikawa, well known Japanese pro. I don't know anything about him, but fair play. <laughs> I mean, I don't know Good if about him either, but I have certainly heard his name around around the top tables before. I heard he uh, drank 30 pints in an evening one night. Oh my god. <laughs> Legendary pint man, Yoshihiko Ikawa. <laughs> Attack of the Christmas. And we have some, some players that I don't know that much about. We have, uh, I'm, I'm going to butcher this person's name, Alex Mylaton? Mylaton? I don't know. Mylaton or something, yeah, that sounds right to me. We have uh, Julian Berteau. I don't know anything about that player either. Uh, we have Michael Bonda, who's uh, he's a well-known player as well. He's kind of always floating around top tables at, at uh, Pro Tours now, Mythic Championships as well. And then last but not least, we have Autumn Burchett. So first time top eight for Autumn, who has been crushing it, grinding for a long time. Two-time uh, England national champion. Yeah, they, they're back-to-back, I think, the last two nationals. Um, and... They've been doing very well at like GPs the last couple of years as well. I've been like consistently looking at Autumn's Twitter and trying to uh, steal their deck lists before events because I feel like Autumn's just always really on the ball um, about like tuning decks and stuff like that. They're very good at that. Yeah, also uh, Top 8 did the uh, OBG I was in as well um, with, with Autumn Blue uh, recently. So yeah, does an insane run over, over the last uh, yeah, few months, two years. So does yeah. that mean they're qualified for the next... The next Mythic Championship as well, like did that that RPGQ did Autumn like getting top eight was was enough? Yeah. Or did they? Sorry, yeah, it was sorry, yeah, top, yeah, top eight made it, yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, for so yeah, London, quali- yeah, yeah. I mean, they're qualified now anyway <laughs> from this top eight, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and also, and uh, they're also playing the Mythic Invitational as a as an invitee. Yeah, that's what I was. Uh, oh, yeah. That's what I was just gonna say. Uh, invitee to the to the Mythic Invitational uh, because they are a fairly prolific streamer has been streaming for a long time now so definitely much deserved success. I'm really happy for for Autumn. I actually I actually shed a tear last night when I found out and uh, when I watched Autumn's interview with uh, with BDM. Um, it was obviously a really really important moment for them and uh, as everyone should go watch the interview uh, if 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 they haven't seen it. But uh, 
yeah, it's it's very emotional, and Autumn obviously realizes how important and what a big step it is for uh, for a non-binary person to to make the top eight for the for, for the first time and to represent at this level is uh is just absolutely awesome and uh the reaction i think has been universally positive i haven't seen anyone you know being a dick or you know you see you see like some people who just don't know how to how to live their lives properly like i haven't seen any kind of uh any insults or anything even on the twitch chat everyone was super positive about it and stuff like that which was really nice to see um but yeah i just it makes me feel really really good that uh that autumn made this top eight and they're just they're crushing so hard the last couple of years it's so awesome yeah, yeah, it was a very emotional interview. Very, um, yeah, definitely worth watching. Uh, this is a great, good news story. And yeah, like you're saying, it's it's great reflection of the community and how how um just how welcoming and welcoming and opening uh, everyone has been uh, to this. Yeah, like I think it's something that like magic like does quite well. Like uh, like in terms of being inviting and accepting of you know like uh like minorities and, and non-binary people and like people who are who are kind of outsiders. Um, there's obviously like a lot further to go and it's not perfect and but like i think this is a really really big important step in that direction uh this kind of representation yeah yeah definitely definitely very important excellent interview it reminded me a lot of the uh christian calcano interview from like i don't know was it like a year or two years ago when christian calcano top aided for the first time that was awesome as well similar kind of vibe um although of course you know calcano's was like on a personal level this one is, you know, for Autumn, it's it's uh, on a personal level, you know, the kind of culmination of, you know, months and years of grinding and, and being just an excellent player. But also, like you guys said, you know, it's it's uh, it represents something and it makes something visible that maybe some people didn't think of before. So definitely important for Autumn and important for everyone to see and know about. So, yeah, definitely a, a, a great achievement. And I mean... It's really hard to get me to root for anyone else other than Reed Duke to win a Mythic Championship <laughs> to do well in a tournament, but uh, Autumn can definitely do it. And I, I've met I when I played at the World Magic Cup, Autumn was the the uh, on the on the English team, and yeah, they were just super nice, lovely person. Uh, again, we'll we'll mention this later, but on stream, lovely to chat to, uh, talk through lines of play gives you know deck deck advice for whatever weekend it may be so yeah just a just a great great thing for magic all around yeah absolutely and yeah i gotta say i'm I'm rooting i'm rooting for autumn to win in the top eight today as well it's like if if autumn wasn't in it would be tough for me between uh between rooting for reed and and lsv because i think like luis you know his ninth top eight and he hasn't got the win yet i I would love to see uh lsv uh take one down finally even if it's a mythic championship now no he'll he'll never won a pro tour but uh (laughs) but with autumn in the top eight though i'm i'm really just rooting for them i really want them to take it down yeah all right i feel feel like Uh, sorry go ahead oh i I was gonna say i feel like no matter who wins this uh this whoever whoever wins the pro tour i think it's going to be a a very good story you know either way you know, we have a great story behind Autumn. We have a great story behind LSV. Uh, great story for Reduke. So it's it, it is it is. You know, I feel like regardless of the outcome, it's going to be a, a great a good news story. But um, yeah, still hope. Yeah, still hope Autumn gets it. So what did you guys think of the the metagame breakdown, or like how how people are you know tackling the standard format? It seems like a lot of people just came to the conclusion that 
I'll just play the best deck, which was Salt Ice, so like 20% of the field, or slightly over 20%. But still, you know, healthy representations of everything else. I was really, really surprised that Nexus and Mono White were both above Mono Blue. I thought Mono Blue would be the next highest after Salt Ice. Yep, agreed. I mean, they're very close. Mono Blue and, and, and Mono White are, are like almost exactly the same. But uh, I definitely thought b- both of those would be more popular than uh, the Nexus, for sure. I'm I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm actually yeah, really yeah. surprised at that. Obviously, Nexus, there's quite a few variants and different decks and stuff like that. So, But I imagine that's Simic for the most part. But it, does that include the Gates decks? Does that include Bant Nexus and Teamer Nexus? Is, is Teamer Reclamation further down the list? Like, is that the lists that aren't playing nexus of fate you know it's a i think there could be it could be a couple of decks mixed in there to make up that 14 percent. yeah i think right i think the, the volume of, of nexus x of of simic nexus really was what took me by surprise at this at this breakdown but yeah that, that possibly is just a result of you know melding together for the decks yeah i mean it's it's I, th- I don't think there's really many surprises apart from that it's like there's been so people have been playing this format so much like so many people have been streaming a lot because of the MPL and stuff like that and arena and like magic has just gotten so big that i think and this and this pro tour or sorry this mythic championship is quite late in the format right or is is it a bit later than usual it is yeah it's like uh, this is yeah it's fun. yeah so i think the new the new system of being late i think the last one yeah, was yeah. similarly late as well so yeah, people have had obviously explored the format very deeply, and I think like probably most of the the good teams and players just came to the conclusion that like yeah, it's like there's there's there are too many eyes on this. There's not really way any way to like break this format like we used to be able to because there's just hundreds of times the amount of serious practice going in, and because all the, these, it, I, I think at the start maybe these like top players who were playing in the MPL like some of them probably wanted to like still you know hide their their deck choices and stuff like that but i think when you're when you're streaming 30 hours a week or whatever you kind of can't you know keep your cards that close to the chest and even if you're not playing like some secret broken deck if you're if you if like all these players are streaming that much they'd be playing against just random grinders on arena who are playing these secret secretly busted decks or whatever so that just it wasn't really possible for that to happen so i think that's why so many people just defaulted to playing Sultai you know and and mono white and mono blue and stuff like that it's just like okay these are known good decks there's not really any you know secret tech for me to get an edge here let's just try and leave just skill advantage yeah 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 that's way shaped it yeah i think uh probably sideboarding plans and like individual card choices are probably gonna turn out to have been more important in this like um like you saw autumn got a deck tech with their mono blue deck and uh, they said that they wanted access to four entrancing melodies in the 75 and and there was one in the main as well so like that seemed decent for the weekend like for stealing like wildcrow walkers or hydroid crassus or whatever it is um mm-hmm. or it's good in mirrors and stuff in the main deck so I, I think the probably a lot of stuff a lot of testing and a lot of focus of pro um practice came down to those choices yeah, yeah I, totally I think agree. that's the yeah uh, I think that's yeah, definitely the kind of decision that's going to make or break the mirror. Um, I, I just have to stream on in the background here, and uh, they just showed uh, Reduke's mono blue list. And uh, he actually doesn't have uh, Jackson Melody uh, in the main, um, so that's something I could decide you know their game if uh, if he goes up against Autumn. Interesting. All right, let's let's power through this yeah. cast because I <laughs> I want to watch this top eight. <laughs> that's started yet. That's started yet. All right. Any last thoughts on standard? What what have you guys been playing in it? And 
do you have any recommendations for what people should be playing in the coming week? I haven't um, played Solta, and it's great, and everyone should just play it. It's really fun. Uh, like you you get to play every single game uh like because you have the explore package like all your openings are always really smooth you don't really get mana screwed uh you get to do powerful stuff and uh you get to cast hydro crisis which is uh an absurd magic card i, I play a whole lot of different decks uh i brought um uh the gp winning deck what's his name um from last weekend is uh uh yeah yeah um his, so i'm on a black deck sorry not black red deck uh, in the shop yeah, I didn't do very. I didn't do very well with it. With it, uh, I wasn't actually. I after playing, I, I was very excited to play it, but I wasn't all that mad about it when I finished because, uh, or when I was actually playing, it, playing with it, um, he was playing four treasure map in the main, which seemed kind of strange because it's, it's the kind of deck that wants to tap out every turn, so it always felt awkward to leave one mana up to leave yourself behind to get that scry in. Um, so, but now I'm playing another deck from that top eight. Uh, this is uh, the the Gruel the Gruel Aggro deck with a uh, Unclaimed Territory and Chain Whirler. Um, and then my, my, my win rate has just gone up significantly since I started playing this. So I would recommend that whenever I play Unclaimed Territory and uh, Name uh, Warrior, I, I say, this is Gruel Territory now. I've only been playing it on Magic Arena, so I've been saying it out loud to myself uh, in my bedroom. Okay. <laughs> I think that deck is uh, is actually pretty good. And the Unclaimed Territory is, is really interesting. And I don't know, like like it's like most of the time you name warrior and then sometimes you name goblin and then like once i was playing and i had to name phoenix and i was just like this is stupid but it actually worked out okay <laughs> yeah it's it's it, it kind of makes the turns more difficult uh sometimes after you have a directly daredevil so sometimes you have to name pirate or human um but like it's yeah it, it, it has even though it's on a, it plays out like uh you know it's just a curvy aggressive deck but um yeah some turns can be very complicated uh, and then you know, I, I found myself in lots of strange situations with Dark Daredevil uh, and uh, opponent's cards uh, for the Greg. Um, but yeah, it, it is. It's, it's uh, pretty decent. Yeah, I. And oh, and yeah, on David Wolf's. Go ahead. Oh, on, on your recommendation, Wolf. I sorry. Oh, your recommendation. I've been playing uh, uh, the same as this from GP Hat, uh, the Immortal Sun in its sideboard. And holy God, that that is Immortal Sun is insane right now. Just because um, people aren't playing much uh, removal for it. Yeah, I've I I had been playing uh, Gruel List as well. Not not exactly that one. I tried that one, but I didn't really like it. So I went back to kind of the more traditional one with um like more green and uh like I had like Vivian Reed in the main stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I I just found that Immortal Sun was like my only way to beat Soltai because they just always got a huge amount of card advantage from Hydro Crassus and they like like my creatures are never big enough to to like brawl with them effectively. But if you have a board full of four, it's really often against Zoltai that you find yourself with a board full of four fours staring at their board full of like four threes and three twos and five fives. So they have they have all kind of differently sized creatures, but you have quite similar sized creatures, especially if you get like a grow chamber guardian out um, and then you just keep chaining them. Yeah. So I found that I needed something like Rekindling Phoenix, obviously, uh, and Skarg and Hellkite kind of break it. Uh, they break the symmetry. But then, you know, the the... The Sultai player just holds their Vrasus Contempt, their cast down until they can until they see those cards. They just don't kill your small guys. So if you can get the Immortal Sun and then just be drawing two cards a turn while also making all your guys bigger, and it shuts down like Vivian Reed. So Vivian Reed can't like they can't top deck Vivian Reed and kill the Immortal Sun because you know it turns off Planeswalkers. Um, and they don't usually have another way to like destroy an artifact in their deck. Some might play like one copy of Thrashing Brontodon, but you're usually okay. 
Um, the only thing you have to be careful of is Hostage Taker, because Hostage Taker can steal artifacts. However, Immortal Sun is so expensive that you will have a chance to kill it most of the time before they can cast it again. So, you know, maybe just sandbag a removal there, Lava Coil. Uh, another thing is, I think people forget that Hostage Shaker can take artifacts, because I have definitely had, like, a full board with the Immortal Sun, and, like, my opponent Hostage Shaker's my Rekindling Phoenix. Maybe it was because they wanted to be sure that they can cast something, but, I don't know, I think taking the Immortal Sun probably would have been better. But, yeah, I think I think people forget that Hostage Shaker can take it, but, you know, against the good opponents, they won't forget, so you should definitely be aware of that. Yeah. I'm, at the moment... I just I was watching Rob Pisano with interest at the at the Mythic Championship because I didn't understand how he was doing so well with Esper and I watched his deck tech and he was like, Oh yeah, you crushed Sultai and I have just found that Sultai is such a hard matchup for Esper because you just can't deal with their creatures. Because you, as I said on the previous cast, you you, you have to kill the same Murphle, Branch Walker and Jade Light Ranger like four times. So I've been trying to brew this version of Esper control with like a bunch of sealaways and stuff. And like a settle the wreckage as well as a Kai- as well as Kaiserath. Um, so that's my kind of project for the next week, and I will report back on how that goes. Nice, yeah, that's good. This seems like an all time high for hostage taker. Just on the on that note, absolutely, it just seems unbelievable right now. Jerry was playing, I think, three of them in his main and one of them in the side in his in his Sultai build at the PT. Yeah, I think uh, I think it's probably like the more hostage takers you have in. The, the more advantage you're going to be in the mirror in game ones as well. So because people are cutting their removal and stuff like that, because the removal is so bad versus uh, mono blue and versus like maybe Esper control, although Esper control is not really there, but it's very, very bad versus uh, Nexus, which is your worst matchup. So people are just cutting the removal and almost sideboarding all, almost all the removal. Like some people are down to like one versus contempt, one cast down. And I mean, the, the industry standard, whatever before was two, Two cast down, two Vrasis Contempt, and maybe like one Ravenous Chupacabra. But if people are cutting those, then Hostage Taker is just great, right? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. yeah. So definitely still more to give from this standard format. And I suppose the, the top eight of the Mythic Championship will, and like how it shakes out, will, will influence that further. Um, so we'll move into Enter the Arena now. So for this week's Enter the Arena, we wanted to give some recommendations of Magic Streamers. And just talk a little bit about Magic Streaming in general. Uh, so for the people who are getting into magic through Arena, uh, you may want to consume more magic content. So you can read articles, you can watch Mythic Championship. Uh, but yeah, there there is plenty of magic content going on all the time on Twitch.com. Uh, you know, streaming is super popular these days. Everybody watches people play games for some inexplicable reason. Uh, I mean, I love it, but I almost don't understand it. <laughs> Yeah, I've spent far too much time in my life watching Twitch streams. I'll admit that. Yes. Yeah, it's one of, it's one of the things. Yeah, it's 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 like it's one of the things. Oh, I sometimes nice to have nice nice to have on in the background while I clean my room. Then I just sit down and watch it. I give it my full attention while my room is filthy. It's, that's that's an insight into my life. Ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> uh, but I find, I think that magic streams are kind of something special for me. Um, maybe I, I assume other people get this as well, but. Uh, before I started really watching Magic, I did watch streams sometimes of, of gameplay, but mostly it was people just like, you know, it was streamers. It was people who, you know, sit at home and play games and, and commentate and talk with chat and whatever. Um, but with Magic, and when I got into Magic, I kind of found this uh, this kind of sub 
division of Twitch streams, which is like event Twitch streams, which kind of allowed me to understand people who are into sports and who like their weekends are built around watching a football match or whatever, because that's the way my weekend weekends are with Magic. Uh, not anymore because I have to work on the weekends now. But when I was at home, uh, yeah, my, my weekends were like geared around watching Magic because there was always a tournament on. It was like the event of the weekend. It was the, the, the most watch event for me. So I'll just kind of highlight the, the important channels for that if people don't know them. Uh, if you're new to Magic through Arena, then you may not know the big paper streaming channels. So, of course, there's the official magic channel and, and again I'll, I'll link all these in the show notes there's the official magic channel that one shows the mythic championships and it used to show the grand prix streams every weekend or every other weekend when they were on but the grand prix streams are kind of somewhat discontinued now but they'll be they'll be showing select ones but they'll be on the channel fireball uh, or they'll be under channel fireball i'm actually not sure if they're still happening on the magic channel on twitch or if they'll be on a separate channel fireball channel but uh, I'll kind of investigate that and I'll link the necessary uh, channel. So there's that one. And then the other big one for watching Paper Magic is uh, Star City Games. So it's it's under twitch.tv forward slash SCG tour. Um, and they stream the SCG Opens every weekend or every other weekend. It's usually it's every weekend. I think they take some weekends off like, uh, uh, like now, this weekend. They don't compete with the the official magic tournaments uh, that much sometimes they're on the same weekend as grand prix and of course they will be in the future now um so yeah th- those are kind of the big channels and then i i was thinking that we would just recommend a channel each so for me i would like to recommend uh twitch.tv forward slash holy diva or holy diva i'm not sure how to pronounce it uh so this is daniela diaz and she is a pretty awesome streamer she talks through her plays all the time uh, she used to do mainly like modern on Magic Online, but nowadays she's doing a lot of arena stuff as well. Great personality, very good player, always talks through her plays, talks about really interesting stuff as well. Uh, she lives in the Canary Islands, and yesterday on the stream she was doing like an analysis of like how immigration affects the personality of people in the Canary Islands compared to how it affects like americans and how how spanish people see fascism compared to how american people see fascism so it was a uh, so it was right. good good non-mtg content in that stream any suggestions from you guys uh yeah i guess i, I guess i i could suggest um uh dave c murphy he's a, a, a local uh dublin irish player uh one one time number one mythic uh player on the street on on, on arena to, this season uh, he hit number he playing a lot of standard he hit number one um Right at the back, right at the back, at the start of the month. Uh, he's dropped down a little bit now, but I think he's still finding it there. Uh, so he's doing a lot of streaming now, uh, just between between now and the end of the season. Uh, his uh, Twitch uh, switch name is Dave C. That's S E A. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, yeah, like like Holy Dive, he also just very uh, just engaging with chat and uh, talking through lines of play and, and you know happily answers questions. Um, definitely a, a, a golden check out. Uh, he he streams like during the day, during the week. You know, typically, just office hours. Uh, GMT. Uh, when he yeah. yeah, I definitely agree uh, with both those streams. I'm, I'm a really big fan of uh, of both Holy Diver and of uh, and of Dave. Obviously, Dave, like uh, you know, Dave obviously is kind of a uh, local and see him in the shop and stuff like that. But he's he's a really really good player. We're not just shitting him out here because he's because he's Irish. He is a legitimately great player, a great streamer. Uh, it's 
both very chilled out streams as well. Holy Diver has some always has some great like eighties metal on in the background. Dave, I'm not. I think Dave maybe has stopped uh, playing music as much. He used to he used to play music more on a stream. Um, um, I was yeah. watching Dave's stream yesterday, and I can tell you that he was playing Nickelback. So Dave doesn't. Oh, wow. have the best taste in music. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. I didn't know that. Uh, I guess Here, before uh, go on, Al. No, I was going to say it was, it was a stupid headline. I thought this week was um, uh, guy from Slipknot, Corey, whatever his face is. Uh, he he announced that a. Uh, Imagine Dragons have taken the place of Nickelback as being the worst band. Um, I don't know how he gets to decide, but um, apparently Nickelback are no longer the worst band in the world. There you go, that's a hot take. There we go, yeah. <laughs> uh, for for the streamer I'm going to shout out, uh, it's someone we've already been talking about. I'm going to say uh, check out Autumn Burchett's stream. Uh, they also stream kind of uh, during the day, like uh, European hours. Um, I think pretty much all, all arena now, they used to stream more magic online but it they're just they're just again it's kind of the same type of vibe just just chilled out um engages a lot with the chat will will take any questions about lines of play you know so like i've i've talked to them quite a few times and said oh you know i maybe would have done this on this turn and uh they're they're always re- really willing to engage and kind of go through their thought process and stuff like that uh, and it's just it's a really nice atmosphere the chat is like uh is really positive and full of nice people and stuff like that and uh and uh it always just makes me feel good watching autumn's stream and uh, i'm sure it's going to be a lot more popular now again uh now that now that they've top aided uh, a mythic championship so that's uh twitch tv slash autumn lily mtg l a u t a u t u m n l i l y m t yeah and of course i will link all of these in the show notes show notes so people can find them easily um but yeah three great suggestions there and hopefully people take their first foray into magic streaming i mean i'm probably there i'm probably sure there's other people maybe listening to this podcast who aren't even new players or people who've come in since arena but they just don't really watch magic streams so if you're looking to start out with some magic streams those are some good suggestions it's such an amazing time honestly for for magic streaming with this mpl and everything i like I've been watching streams for a long time. I used to play competitive fighting games, Street Fighter and stuff like that, right? And and streaming is a big part of that. And uh, and like you would get to know like a lot of the personalities and it's really exciting and stuff like that. Even after I got into Magic, I didn't really watch that many streams for a long time uh, when it because I uh, I don't really like watching Paper Magic all all that much uh, on camera. I find it like even find it quite hard to just be engaging to to engage with and i don't find it that exciting a lot of the time i I've, i watch more now and i always watch the, the pro tours and stuff like that but arena has totally just changed the game in terms of streams and kind of how exciting they are to watch and easy to follow and stuff like that it's just a lot more entertaining um and and with the amount of money they've put into it to encourage these really really good players to stream it's just an amazing resource to have at your disposal if you want to get better as a player like you can like in real time like watch the best players in the world play their game and you and you can ask them why they're doing certain things and they'll almost certainly respond to you and give you like a decent answer and and you know engage with you like in good faith about lines of play and stuff like that which is there's almost no other uh like game or sport or endeavor in the entire world where you have the access to be able to just pick pick people's brains who are at the top absolute top of the game so i think if you're if you're not taking advantage of that and you want to get better at magic you're really missing out yeah especially now with the the magic pro league so you know the these top 32 pros who are now getting a salary to play this game 
they've all been strongly encouraged to stream. I mean, I don't think they have to do it as part of the contract, but pretty much I think most of them are, are doing it. And, you know, these are the 32 at the moment best players in the world. They're the top ranked people. And just like on any given random Tuesday, you can have a look in the Twitch uh, section under under Magic and see like five of them streaming. And like, there's not even that many people in the chat at the moment to the point where, like you said, you can literally just ask questions, they'll see it and they'll respond to you. Um, it's it's an amazing resource. And if you come across someone, especially like, you know, like Ben Stark, you know, one of the greatest limited players of all time, you know, when he, when he streams drafts, he loves talking about limited. So you just ask him and he will, he will talk for hours about that stuff. It's so awesome, honestly. It's so good. What a yeah. time to be alive. Ben Stark's, also, <clears throat> yeah, ben Stark's also a great man for replying to tweets. Uh, we've on, on numerous occasions we've had like heated discussions in, in pubs over uh, over you know what which card is better a higher pick. Uh, we could usually sat let us by uh, send him and sending him a tweet and asking him, and uh, he usually just gets back and he's happy to happy to discuss. Yeah, he's a great man. For yeah, settling. I, I remember. <laughs> I remember the best one. I think was uh, was Dave Murphy, the the streamer we were talking about had the hottest take I think I've ever heard. Oh, I got my this. This was a Dominaria Limited. I believe he said that a uh, Saga Fraley's was better than, a better first pick than Lyra Dawnbringer. Yeah, I think um, it started off on that. Then he started getting more and more extreme. Like, uh, says, like oh, I'll take a, I'll take a four mana 2-2 flyer over, over um, Dawnbringer. Yeah, yeah. Or, yeah, he said, uh, he said Shalai. And then he said, actually, I would take Shalai without any abilities, just flying. <laughs> What? That was amazing. Was that, yeah, that was one that we, uh, I believe, we got Ben Stark uh, to weigh in his opinion. Yeah. So Ben Stark will just answer those <laughs> nonsense questions if you ask him. Speaking By the way, there's. Uh, I just got to say before we stop, there's an absolute atrocity going on on the Pro Tour stream at the moment. I, in the I was going to bring up the same. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. <laughs> it's the both players are playing mismatched basic islands in their mono blue deck in the oh, mirror. God. It's absolutely horrendous. I know Reed wasn't playing mismatched island, so that's got to be Autumn versus uh, Julian. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Reed, I believe, was playing all signed beta islands, which is pretty slick. I believe so. Class. You see, Reed Duke has a sense of class, and then you know people like <laughs> just want to watch the world burn. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. All right, it's a good note to end on. So, uh, you, if you want to contact us. If you want to suggest a topic for Enter the Arena or you want to know about something, you want to ask us a question, you can email us, skullcrackpodcast at gmail.com, or you can tweet us at skullcrack. And that is going to do it for us this week. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. We've had a whole lot of different uh, segments on our podcast uh, in the past. Uh, you know, extra turns is basically a, a, a kind of like a sign-off. We had uh, Bust Deducer, which is you know basically crack a back from other podcasts. So I, I guess it's safe to say that we're we're not above 
just taking sevens from other podcasts, and that'd be perfectly okay to do. We just change the name a little, little bit. Uh, do you agree? Yes. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, it's the greatest form of flattery and all that. Exactly. So today we're going to play dick or sick. I'm going to describe uh, that's dick or sick. No, actually, no. I think it's better for actually no, no, change that. Sick or dick, we're going to call it. I'm going to describe some situations in Magic: Gathering and other games, and you got to tell me if these are sick plays or dick moves. Oh, I love these. Um, I love these. Yes. All right. Okay, so I guess uh, the first, yeah. So I suppose this is a mixture of stuff I've seen, or or also kind of just also one of those hypothetical situations. Uh, I don't want to name where they where I've seen them because I guess it's you know, so, um, I, 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 I wouldn't even say if these actually happened, um, but these are you know, hypothetical situations. Uh, one of them is so we're talking about mulliganing there. So uh, let's say if you're playing against you're, you're against player A, uh, mulligan. So they, they take a mulligan, they go into six, um, but they draw seven cards. So you see them draw seven cards and they mulligan the six, um, you know, face down before they hit them up. So you could interrupt them and say, oh, wait, no, that's seven. But you know that if you wait until they pick up the hand to see it, uh, they'll get punished harder by, by the judge. So do you, so let's say, so let's say if someone draws, mulligan six, uh, draw seven cards, and you wait until they look at all the cards before you call a judge, uh, is that a sick play or a dick move? Uh, I think that's a sick play and it's absolutely not even a question it's what you should do because if this player is cheating um, then you should bring it to the judge's attention after they've actually made the illegal game action and it could be the case that they've been doing this before in previous rounds or they have a history of doing this uh, in which case you're you can only catch them out if they actually have performed the cheat rather than letting them off the hook by uh, like uh, doing it before they actually pick up their hand, in which case they've committed no penalty, no infraction. So you're talking yeah, that's from, from the point of view of people who kind of deal the cards out onto the table before they pick them up and look at them, because a lot of people just put them in their hand. I mean, yeah, I suppose, yeah, yeah. But it's I guess it's more so you, know, you had a chance to stop the uh, mistake from happening, um, but instead you're waiting. Um, which I guess, yeah, so if you're waiting for the reasons like you're waiting for reasons like Aaron suggested, yeah, that is a uh, very reasonable. I think it's also context dependent. Like if I was, you know, if we were playing at a PPTQ and it was a person that I knew very well, I, yeah, I would probably wait until they've done it and then call the judge. Um, but if it was, you know, just normal Friday Night Magic or whatever, and I was playing against a person who, or if it was a pre-release and I was playing against a person who I've never played against before or like is clearly a casual player, not not experienced, then I would just let them know. I'd be like, oh, you've, you've got seven there. You should have six. Yeah, absolutely. I, I I definitely like at a pre-release level or something like that. I would uh, I would try to kind of have the situation go that would cause like the least you know stress or anxiety for the other player if they're a new player. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. But even even then at F and M level, you know what I mean? It's it's not bad to call a judge. That's what judges are there for. Someone someone gets an extra card, and let's let's say they're not cheating in this example. It is just an accident. The judge is just just going to come over and fix it, and it's going to be fine a second later. You know what I mean? So if I, I think this is like an interesting question in terms of like, I think what Al's getting at is like, are you angling to try and cause and try to get the other player an infraction? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But which is not, which is something you're not allowed to do and you should not do. It's actually specifically against the tournament rules. If you're, if you're playing a competitive to try and, uh, you know, argue to a judge that, that your opponent should, should get a certain infraction or whatever. That's not your job as a player, but your job as a player is if your opponent breaks the rules, you call a judge. And that's as far as your, your obligation goes. And that's as far as your, your involvement should be with the situation. Oh, I, I felt the way yeah, that's I was asking it was, was like, you get a thought seize if that happens. Uh, 
uh, a competitive yeah, yeah, that's yeah. also true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you do get an advantage from that. But I mean, you yeah. you're you only get that advantage because your opponent has broken the rules. You know what I mean? If yeah, yeah, if they if they didn't break the rules, you wouldn't get to do that. So that's that's just how the cookie crumbles. You know, that's it. That's showbiz. Um, Hit us with the so next one. I have a few more. Yeah. Um, so this one, this is one I've done before. A Magic Online. Uh, I'm playing uh, M19. Uh, uh, yeah, M19 drops. Big solid board. I'm starting to lose. Um, but then I draw. I draw a sleep. All right. So sleep is a card that just really just changes the combat math completely, especially on a solid board. And when I draw it, I'm thinking like, oh, maybe I can. Oh, all these things go through my head at the same time. I'm thinking, uh, oh, maybe I can. You know, make an attack to get them to like 12 so I can sleep uh, next turn and get in for, for Xaxes. Um, well, I'm trying to think what kind of attacks I can make because yeah, sleep basically yeah, really throws all the combat math out the window. But at the same time, I'm thinking the longer I tank with this card, uh, the more likely they'll put it into my range. The more like, the more, the, the, basically, the more they'll suspect something's up if I'm tanking after, after drawing this card. So, uh, what I do is I open up chat and I type in B or B pizza, which uh, <laughs> gives me all the time I need to think about it. And they say, yeah, fine. So now I, I can sit in the tank for about you know, a minute or two, uh, decide what the best blocks to make, or what the best attacks to make are. And then uh, I just uh, type in, oh, yeah, I'm back now. And then win the game. Genius. So is that a sick play or a dick move? Well, can I ask a follow-up question? If if you were actually getting pizza, would you say B or B pizza? Or would you let them think that you're sitting in the tank to make them uh, think a card is in your range that's not actually in your hand, you're just getting pizza? Holy shit, I didn't even think of this, and I think that's right. Yeah, I, I probably wouldn't. Uh, if it really, if, if it really was interrupted, I wouldn't say. <laughs> it's, yeah. like, uh, it's like in Arena, when you don't have an instant, you, you just press control, so you, you make them think that you do. But when you do have an instant, you just try and mash enter as fast as possible so they don't think you have an instant. you got to do the opposite yeah, of whatever you have. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I actually, this Bro. is kind of a related one. I have uh, on, on Arena, like, put on full control mode, in my opponent's main phase when I have mana up for like settle the wreckage even when I don't have it and I have like slowly clicked through to their attack step to make it look like uh, I have something I can cast yeah, yeah that's, that's, that's also kind of like the evolution of the game now it's, like, it's a new thing we can do which you know wouldn't really be relevant to now magic online that's it um, alright another one this is uh, wait, wait. From outside magic this is uh, sorry oh sorry do you want to answer Wolf? yeah we never uh, we never actually said whether that one was a sick play or a dick move I, I, oh. I think it's yeah yeah sorry Firmly in the realm of sick play. Oh yeah, definitely. Of course. I mean, it's your it's your clock on Magic Online. You can use it however you want. Exactly, and it's, of course it's sick play because I made it a, a winning <laughs> play. I might might add. Uh, this one comes from uh, the world of poker, so we move it from wizard poker over to human poker. This is one of my favorite uh, arguments I've seen in in in, in uh, tournament poker. So uh, we got a uh, is Phil Helmuth and uh, Tony G. Uh, Tony G is a, a very abrasive individual, and someone who I I never usually side with. But uh, this exchange happened where um, basically, yeah, uh, the yes, okay, cards dealt out. Um, there's some kind of back and forth between the two players, uh, you know, getting at each other. Uh, you know, would say, "No, I can never, I can never take a take a, a, a hand off you." And then, um, so some better, some better made. Phil Helmuth has a uh, ace and the jack. <clears throat> uh, so Phil Helmuth has ace and jack. Uh, he makes a big bet. It comes to Tony G. Someone else on the table says, "Oh, Tony, you haven't looked your, you haven't looked at your cards yet." I don't know why this person said this. They, they just thought he hadn't looked at his cards. So Tony G says, yes, I haven't looked at my cards, even though he has, and he has Ace-King. So he's a stronger <laughs> yeah. hand. He's pretending he didn't look at his cards. He he, he just goes all in, um, pre-flop, uh, with, with Ace-King. Goes back to Phil Helmuth, and he's thinking like, oh, well, if if uh, like, if he hasn't looked at his cards, this is definitely an easy call for me to make. So he makes a call, and then both players turn over their hands. Um, yeah, 
Dunley G has a much stronger hand. And uh, then Hamoud says, wait, so so you lied? And then Tony G, he's Australian. He just has a look of absolute disbelief in his face. He's like, oh, of course I lied, Phil. It's poker. Um, and it's absolutely <laughs> wonderful. Um, terrible accent there, but... Uh, is is that uh, and then uh, basically Clemut goes flying off the handle. He goes, uh, he's raging about how uh, this goes against poker etiquette and it's uh, a terrible thing to do. Uh, but what do you think? Do you think that is a sick play or a dick move? Yeah, this is an interesting one. It's like I think this is within the kind of gamesmanship of poker and stuff like that. And like it's it is really interesting though because it's like the fact that the other player said it as well. Like that was that's kind of like bad form from the other player obviously they didn't mean to like start this kind of ball rolling but that's what happened so uh, it's such an interesting situation yeah this is this is similar to the the lsv and gabby thing where he leaned over and was like you're gonna attack with that and she was like oh let me play my game yeah yeah. i love that so good great but to me that's much more clear cut as like that's just a, a very well executed bluff whereas like this is slightly different, right? Because like in poker cash games, people do occasionally just decide to gamble and just and just go all in without having seen their cards. So that is like within the range of something he could be doing, and it's believable that that you know he he would be doing that. And that's not something. And if you were paying attention, you would know whether or not he would have looked at his cards. Um, but yeah, I still think it's fine. Like uh, I don't know. You should just like yeah. I don't know. It's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, uh, I, uh, very wonderful video to watch. Um, I'm sorry, this last one. This comes from another game. Uh, David Wolf, I think you were you were here for this one. Okay. Uh, sorry, did you, did you give an answer to that, Wolf? Well, I, I don't really know that much about poker, so I, I don't know. That sounds fine to me. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's okay, a so, lot of stuff like that in one. poker. Sorry, just to say, there's a lot of stuff yeah, in yeah. poker that's like not strictly against the rules. Like the like the term angle shooting comes from poker, right? Where a lot of it is built on sort of like etiquette and kind of gentleman's rules and stuff like that in a way that I really don't like. I, I prefer like the system we have in Magic where all the rules are very clear cut, like what's allowed and what's not. Obviously, these situations we're talking about, you know, you find these edge cases and angle shoots and stuff like that. But there's a lot more of that in poker, um, which is something I, I don't like about the game, basically. I see. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's, it's, it's like it's, it can be a minefield, stuff like that. Um, so this last one, this is, uh, I think Dave Wolf was, was in the vicinity for this one. This is uh, in the game Cranium. Cranium is a party game made up of all sorts of, uh, it's like a board game with like, there's some rounds of like uh, uh, charades or Pictionary or other kind of you know, party games like that. So one of the rounds in it is, uh, you, it's like, so one of the things that I was tasked to do for my team, so I have a team of people that I'm trying to give a clue to, uh, it's uh, it's like, it's picture, basically it's a Pictionary clue where I'm not allowed to directly draw a picture of the clue. So I'm given, um, the word I'm given is crocodile. So essentially the, the task is, I'm not, I, I have to draw a picture from, to get my teammates to you know, say crocodile, but I'm not allowed to draw an actual crocodile. So obviously that's kind of opens up you know, all sorts of creative things you can do with that. So what I did, I drew a picture of an alligator. Clearly, you know, it, was, it was morphologically, it was definitely an alligator. But when I drew an alligator, everyone shared their crocodile anyway. Brilliant, total, that total sick. sick move. Yeah, absolutely. I I do remember this. I I'm pretty sure that's a dick. That's a dick move. <laughs> it's uh yeah. I'm, I'm not sure if it's within the spirit of the game. Spirit of the oh, you can, you can say that. Oh, uh, it's like poker and cranium. All their etiquettes of of gentleman rules. It's it's a minefield. Both games. We'll have to secret magic. I think we need to consult the cranium tournament rules and the IPG. 
Yeah, do we have a judge? <laughs> Level two cranium judge. <laughs> they, 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 they should definitely have a system like that. So, well, Wolf is clearly not on my team in that situation. Uh, otherwise, you'll be agreeing with me. Yeah, not really for you in that situation. All right. Thank you for that, Al. It was wonderful. Okay. Good night. Good, good day. Good evening. <laughs>